Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Coach with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Cromwell, and we are trucking along with our 2021 division-by-division NFL draft recaps, and tonight's pit stop is the home of the reigning Super Bowl champs, the NFC South. And we are joined by our good friend Jeff Barnes of Cover 2 Draft to analyze the draft classes of the Falcons, Panthers, Saints, and Bucks. What's happening, Jeff? Good to have you back on. I'm glad to be back. It's been a great ride so far. Oh, it most certainly has. And, uh, but the ride's just beginning. Uh, we got uh, OTAs and rookie minicaps right now, even in the midst of this uh, NFLPA uh, started mess. And uh, before we know it, we'll be in trading camp. So buckle up, folks. This is only about to get more interesting. But uh, we start with the Atlanta Falcons in this uh, NFC South draft recap for 2021, who with the fourth overall pick decided to pass on a potential successor to Matt Ryan and instead took Kyle Pitts, the best non-quarterback prospect in this entire draft. And uh, as as you know, and as most uh, football savvy fans know, even though that Kyle Pitts is listed as a tight end, that at least to some degree is a misnomer. You can line him up in line, in the slot, or even at the X receiver position. Heck, he could be a top 10 X receiver if he played that position his entire career and be equally effective regardless of where he lines up. And let's say the Falcons do actually keep Julio Jones this season and uh, it's still up in the air whether they trade him. But assuming they keep him, does the addition of Kyle Pitts make the Falcons pass catching unit the most dangerous in the entire NFL? Uh, if they keep Julio Jones, yes. If they don't, on the other hand, I believe they take a step back, even if you do add Pitts. What Pitts gives you is the ability to give you a, a matchup problem anywhere in the formation. Julio Jones, while he is not at the top of his game anymore, you adding a Pitts to this offense frees him up in a big way where he gets more one-on-one coverage, more zone coverage, and, of course, you still have Ridley on the opposite side. So the three of them together are bigger uh, problems for defenses than just two of them. So it would be smart for them to keep Julio. This is the best way to squeeze the last bit of juice out of Ryan and Julio by getting Pitts in. This is why it was a smart pick for him. Indeed, and uh, you're looking at an Arthur Smith offense, which is super tight end centric. You're looking at a 12 personnel package with uh, Kyle Pitts and Hayden Hurst at tight end and uh, Ridley and uh, Julio Jones, assuming they don't trade him at the wide receiver positions. Uh, Don't you think uh, this could uh, open up a lot of doors for Hayden Hurst to uh, have his best season yet and cash in somewhere else next year? Yeah, and and it doesn't. Uh, leave them stuck with Hurst after this season. Uh, we know Hayden Hurst, when he was drafted, was 26, so he was already at the tail end of his prime. So when you're looking at what um, Pitts does for them, it allows you to bring in a guy who's more athletic than Hurst, bigger than Hurst, and overall just an overall better player than Hayden Hurst is, and it'll allow Hayden Hurst to take advantage of weaker matchups. So once again, it, it's 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 those three guys are going to open up so much more for him, and Hayden Hurst will benefit from. Oh, absolutely! And back to Kyle Pitts for a second. Uh, we talked a lot about how special he is uh, on this podcast throughout the draft process, but uh, just to quantify that, uh, would it surprise you that by the end of the season he is like a top four, if not top three, tight end in all the NFL, along with uh, Kelsey Kittle and Darren Waller? He's definitely going to challenge those guys for the number one position in receiving receiving yards and catches. Um, I think he can surpass Kelsey. Um, I think he could even surpass Waller. We saw Waller was hot very early. 
um, kind of calm down towards the middle and late parts of the season. I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be a problem for 16 games because not just because of the skill set, but because you, they don't know what Atlanta is going to do with him yet. You know, we haven't seen anything yet. Um, when it comes to um, preseason games, how much are they going to use him in the preseason? How much are they going to show? Most likely, they're going to be very vanilla with him. So you're going to see very little until those first four games. And by that point, you could have an Atlanta team that could be three and one or possibly even undefeated if their offense is clicking right out the gate. Absolutely. But I was saying uh, in terms of overall ability, uh, do you think Kyle Pitts can assert himself as a top three tight end in the entire game of football by the end of this season? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it was the reason why I had him at the top of my draft board, even though he was not a quarterback. And that is because of the fact that his skill set, what he brings to the game being able to line up anywhere in the formation and be a highly effective receiver and a playmaker is what's going to differentiate him from those players. We, we see what Waller does, but you line up Waller outside the red zone, but you don't do it most of the time in the, in the middle of the field or when you're backed up. Pitts can do that anywhere on the field and still give you that vertical threat against the corner. He can do it against the safety. He can do it against the linebacker. It doesn't matter where you put him. He gives you... Uh, the ability to attack anywhere on the field, no matter what position you're in, as opposed to just being in the red zone. So that right there automatically puts him above Kelsey in, in regards to skill set. It puts him above Waller in regards to skill set. It's just a matter of he's going to have to learn the speed of the game at the NFL level. But by the end of the season, he will have that. And in the second round, the Falcons traded down five spots and selected Richie Grant, the talented, versatile safety out of UCF. The Falcons obviously needed a safety, but some would argue they should have went with Trayvon Merrick, who went just three picks later to the Raiders. Do you think Richie Grant was the right pick for the Falcons in terms of fit, or do you think they'll regret taking him over Trayvon Merrick? While I had Merrick over him, I have no problem with them taking Grant in this situation. They're very similar players. Uh, Grant is a big-time hitter. We've seen Merrick do it as well. Uh, I think he's a little better cover man than Murray is. But overall, when I look at it, I have no problem with what they did here. I mean, it was uh, the top three safeties, um, you know, whether Grant, Merrick, and the uh, kid from Oregon. Yeah, Javon and, Holland, yeah. Yes, and they all, listen, the fact that Holland went first, it shocked me because so many people like myself had Grant and Merrick going before him, but it doesn't shock me when it comes to skill set. The guy is locked down in the slot, so you don't have to take him off the field um, or, or move him around the formation to hide him from slot receivers. He can cover that. He can tackle. He can do all of those things, so it's not surprising that he went where he went, but um, overall, like I said, when it comes to Atlanta taking Grant over Merrick, I have no problem with it. They were interchangeable. They're both excellent players, very similar, and it's just a matter of which flavor you liked more and they like grant more yeah i agree the uh, safety class was uh, like ice cream as you alluded to like uh, <laughs> there was a uh, several different flavors of safeties at the top of the board and uh, richie grant was definitely the guy that uh, dean peace thought fit his scheme the best and that's why they went with uh, richie grant and in the third round the falcons made their first of two dips in the interior offensive line pool by selecting jalen mayfield who played tackle at michigan but projects far better at guard in the nfl some we're putting him in first-round mocks early in the process, but an underwhelming pro day sent him tumbling down the board. Do you think Mayfield is one of those prospects where the tape is far better than the way he tested? 
He is. And unfortunately, that happened to a lot of prospects this draft weekend where we looked at the film and said, this guy is definitely going day one. He's definitely going day two. And we saw him tumble down the boards. Um, some guys went as late as fifth, six rounds who were, you know, considered top 100 on many boards. So um, it, it's not shocking that he fell because of the pro day. I, like I said, I didn't really have him as a first round pick, although I saw a lot of mocks that had him there. I had him in the second round. I think overall Mayfield is going to be a guard. He still has to get a little bit stronger and, and have functional strength, not just weight room strength, but functional strength to handle up inside against the bigger bodies. But I think the, the fact that he projects as a right tackle only because of his limited movement in space is why he's going to kick inside. And I think overall that's going to be the best move for him. Uh, do you think he has a shot to beat out Josh Andrews for that starting left guard spot in training camp? He can challenge. Um, it depends on whether Andrews has fallen off enough for him to beat him out. I think Andrews is a stronger, more stout player, although he's on the back end of his career. And um, But that's the one thing we talk about. We talk about tackles coming in um, and playing guard, kicking inside the guard. You see it all the time. They may look like they can handle it, you know, based on skill set when we watch them on film, when we evaluate them. But there is always that process of finding out that the guys inside at the NFL level are just as fast, they're bigger and stronger. And if you're not prepared for that, if you're not strong enough, it shows up on the film. So I think that's one of the things. If he can find a way to develop the anchor to match up inside with the bigger bodies, he can challenge Andrews. But I just, I'm not sure if he can come in right away and push him out. He may end up on the opposite side of him. Uh, yes, or he could spend uh, his rookie year in the weight room um, filling out his frame and uh, getting ready to start next year. That could also be a logical uh, move for uh, Jalen Mayfield. And on to the Carolina Panthers, who, in my opinion, I would have said that the Carolina Panthers had the best draft class on paper in the entire league, but the fact that they passed over Justin Fields doesn't make me give that distinction, but that's how good their draft class was, in my opinion. It was so deep and so well done by uh, new GM Scott Fitter and Matt Rule. And they kicked off the draft with the eighth overall pick, selecting South Carolina cornerback J.C. Horn, making him the first defensive player off the board. And as you discussed on our Dash of the Draft defensive back special, Horn is the ideal corner for a press man scheme. Yet the Panthers run more of a zone-oriented scheme, I believe, under defensive coordinator Phil Snow. Are you at least somewhat troubled by the scheme fit here between the Panthers and J.C. Horn? Um, I think he's going to be okay. I, my, my thing is he's going to have those plays where he's going to blow a coverage here and there because he's an aggressive corner. He's going he's gonna to try and um, anticipate certain throws, and when you gamble like that, you miss from time to time. He's not a high percentage miss, but when he does miss at times, they do go big. So I think that's where you have to look at it is, is he going to play within the scheme and be a little less aggressive? Or is he going to play within his skill set and, and be just as aggressive? If he does that, he's still going to be a very good corner. He's just not. He's just going to have those moments, much as when Marcus Peters started his career in Kansas City. He was a gambler. He made those same mistakes. Horn is going to be that same way if he stays that way in the zone scheme. 
And after trading down twice in the second round, the Panthers got potential highway robbery, in my opinion, with LSU wide receiver Terrace Marshall Jr. And obviously, Terrace Marshall fell due to concerns about his injury history dating back to high school, but he brings a Cortland Sutton, Alshaw Jeffrey skill set that the Panthers were sorely lacking at the wide receiver position. And uh, Sam Darrell now has a mouthwatering 11 personnel package with DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and now Terrace Marshall. With weapons like these, plus a healthy Christian McCaffrey, is Sam Donald a quiet candidate for 2021 Comeback Player of the Year honors? No. And I think you'll see an improved Sam Donald, but I think Sam Donald's biggest weakness was the same as USC, and it showed in New York, is he still is going to turn the football over. He's never, ever corrected that. It was a problem in college. It was a problem in New York. And he'll have those issues. He'll be improved in Carolina with the improved cast around him, with the different coaching, different scheme. But I think there's still going to be times where he holds the football too long and he'll have a sack fumble or he makes a late throw and throws an interception. It, it, part of it is Sam Darnold. Part of it was the situation in New York. You may see a diminished amount of turnovers, but you're still going to see turnovers at times because that's just who Sam Darnold is. Some guys are just that gunslinger are going to give you the mistakes that you got to live with but they're going to make some great plays for you as well. And he's going to make more plays than he did in New York. He just has to cut back on some of those mistakes to live with. Yeah, those turnovers are the big thing that's preventing Sam Donald from reaching his uh, full potential. And uh, back to Terrace Marshall, uh, do you see him eventually as one of the starting two boundary receivers for the Panthers this year? Like it could be him and Robbie Anderson on the boundary with DJ Moore in the slot. Yeah, I see him being on the outside. I, I see them, um, him giving the ability to DJ Moore to move around the formation. He has the ability to go vertical. We know Robbie Anderson is the vertical guy. He also has the ability to make some big possession catches for you. So I think he's the better route runner. Well, potentially a better route runner, I should say. He hasn't shown it yet at the NFL level. But I think potentially he has a better be a better route runner than Robbie Anderson. Um, overall, it, it's going to... Once again, you talk about guys that are stretching the field, creating more space for DJ Moore. And I think that's the best thing that could happen to him. Um, you're going to have McCaffrey coming out of the backfield. We know about everybody else they got coming out. Um, Tommy Trumbull is that H back is going to be a guy that's going to factor into things with the play action, with the red zone stuff. Um, as a, he's been a thunderous blocker. So all of these weapons are going to come into place. Terrence Marshall is a big part of it. And uh, with their first of two third-round picks, and the second of those was Tommy Tremble, who you mentioned, and we'll get to him in just a little bit, the Panthers went with a sorely needed offensive line upgrade in Brady Christensen, who protected Zach Wilson's blindside at BYU. However, Matt Rule said that the Panthers view him as someone who could play four different offensive line positions and added that he could be elite at guard. His words, not mine. Do you think Brady Christensen will be better at tackle or guard in the NFL? He might be better at guard. Um, I, I, I remember him as a tackle, and he's pretty good at tackle at the, um, at the level he was at. At the next level, I think he would be a solid tackle. I don't think he would be anywhere near a Pro Bowl caliber tackle. Inside, he may be better fit, and it may turn out to be the best fit for him. Um, with his skill set, you're talking about a guy with a player, a player with good size, but overall, when you talk about his skill set on the field, he has pretty average foot speed to protect on the corner. Um, it also helped that Zach Wilson was very mobile <laughs> so when he did have those issues in protection, as you saw against Coastal, um, he had his issues, you know, and 
that was just foot straight speed that he faced at Coastal. At the NFL level, you're going to face guys with speed moves and some with a lot of power. So it may be best that he moves inside. But once again, you're talking about a guy going from tackle to guard who's facing up with speed and less power on the outside who's going to face a lot more power on the inside. He's going to have to get stronger. Yes, it's going to be very fascinating to see where Brady Christensen ends up on that Panthers offensive line. That needs a lot of help. And now on to the New Orleans Saints who are entering their first year of the post-Drew Brees era. And for the second time in four years, the Saints selected a non-Power 5 pass rusher with their first-round pick. Marcus Davenport in 2018 and in 2021, just a couple weeks ago, Peyton Turner. And Peyton Turner was a guy who obviously flew up draft boards after his freakish pro day where he showed off that enormous 84-inch wingspan. Can you see Peyton Turner overtaking Marcus Davenport for that starting defensive end spot opposite Cameron Jordan at some point this season? If Marcus Davenport doesn't have the breakout year, he will. Um, unfortunately for Davenport, we just didn't see um, the dominant player that we saw towards the tail end of his senior year and in that senior bowl when he played. Um He's been a quality player, but you didn't draft him for quality. You drafted him to be dominant, and he just hasn't been that. Peyton Turner comes in. He's an excellent speed rusher, perfect complement to uh, Cam Jordan on the opposite side. So uh, I would see them in a rotation in the beginning, and his playing time increases if he plays well enough and Davenport under, under, uh, continues to underwhelm. And another thing that Peyton Turner brings to the table is inside-outside versatility. I think he played uh, inside the guard, I believe, uh, in his first couple years at Houston before kicking outside the edge uh, last year. And that inside-outside versatility, I think, uh, could get him into the starting line sooner rather than later. Don't you think so? Yeah. yeah. When you go into the sub-packages, you have the ability to kick and reduce him inside um, to the three technique um, and allow him to run the stunts and twists. Um, the, the free him up on the edge so he doesn't have to rely on a ton of pass rush moves. Um, he doesn't have to rely solely on speed and power on the outside. The ability to, to move him around um, with the stunts, move him around formation uh, pre-snap, there are going to uh, be ways to allow him to play a little more free. Uh, once again, we talked about it. As long as he comes out and shows um, what he's capable of doing um, that we've seen from his workouts um, and on tape during the season, I think what you're going to get is a player who could potentially unseat Davenport if he continues on the well. Yes, sir. And in the second round, the Saints filled a massive void at linebacker that I thought they should have addressed in last year's draft with Ohio State's Pete Warner. While nowhere near the freak athlete his fellow Buckeye Baron Browning is, Pete Warner is a cerebral, hard-hat, lunch-pail player in the mold of longtime Vikings linebacker Chad Greenway. Do you see Pete Warner becoming the starting middle linebacker with on-field play calling duties in New Orleans relatively quickly? Yes, yes. If you look at the mold, they've fashioned their middle linebacker a certain way. You remember they had Alex Anzalone at one point, who's that same kind of player, wasn't as, uh, wasn't as cerebral as Warner was. They were both pretty solid athletes. They weren't great athletes. And, and with Warner, that's what you're getting. You're getting a very smart player who diagnoses plays well, um, athletically, he's not gifted. He's good. He's just not gifted. All right? So uh, you get him in the second round, and, and I think I still think he could have fell a little later, but they got him at a good spot uh, because he wouldn't have been around the next time they picked, that's for sure. So um, you get Warner, who's going to come in and compete right away, and he should win the spot. I don't think there's anybody in New Orleans that's going to keep him from taking it. 
and the Saints surrendered both of their third-round compensatory picks to move up 22 spots to select Paulson Adebo to fill the gaping hole at that cornerback spot opposite Marshawn Lattimore. Given how much they surrendered just to go and get him, it is apparent that the Saints see him as an ideal scheme fit and complement to Lattimore. Do you agree or disagree with their view? Well, the Saints value long, fast corners, and Adebo is definitely that. My, my biggest problems with Paul Sotodibo come with change of direction, um, mainly, and, of course, um, recovery. When he's, out of, when he's out of phase, he doesn't recover well. Overall, when he's in phase, he is very sticky. So I think he fits in what they want to do. If they're going to play a lot more zone, he fits in with the zone. If they're going to play man, as long as he stays in phase, he's going to be a very good corner. And to get him in the third round, they really jumped up because they really sort of fall off, you know, after certain corners at that point. Unless you really believed in the corners behind him, and some of them weren't there, I wouldn't have taken that in a particular juncture in time. He wasn't, he wasn't going to fall to him if they stayed um, at the compensatory pick level. So they had to go up and get him. And it was a wise move. They got the corner that they want to come in and compete for their starting job. They didn't feel that anybody else after – Adebo will be able to come in and compete right away. So it was the best move for them. It was a, if, if it's a reach, then it'll show on the field. But overall, in the third round, Adebo is where I expected, to, uh, expected Adebo to go in the third. And that's where he went. Um, and New Orleans just jumped up to make sure they got him. Yeah, typical Saints move. They did a similar move for Zach Bond in the third round uh, in 2020, and uh, they did the exact same thing with Paulson Debo this year. And on to the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who used this draft to essentially plan for their long-term future as opposed to getting guys who contribute right away this year. And with their first round pick, they took Joe Tryon, a freakish athletic edge linebacker hybrid from Washington. And Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus, a very respected mind when it comes to the NFL draft, he said that he didn't see much difference between Tryon and the aforementioned Baron Browning. And what he said isn't entirely inaccurate. Both are freak athletes who can either rush the passer off the edge or play off-ball linebacker. That said, I personally think it's apparent that the Bucks intend for Joe Tryon to replace Jason Pierre-Paul in 2022 at that edge spot opposite Shaq Barrett. Do you think Joe Tryon is better suited to play on the edge, or should the Bucks be open to trying him an inside linebacker if need be? I say you put him through the trials and see where he fits in, but listen, he's an edge rusher to me. He's a guy who, who's a nightmare coming off the edge. That speed, uh, the athleticism, um, he, he, the fact that he could drop into coverage or rush presents a problem. Pairing him with a Shaq Barrett eventually is going to be something big. The fact that you could pair him with both Barrett and Pierre Paul in a rotation helps out big time. So, you get to the you get to spell your older veteran players, and you get a young player like this on the field who has all the athleticism in the world and the potential to be a troublemaker for offenses. And do you see Todd Bowles putting together some of these NASCAR packages this year to have Tryon, JPP, and Shaq Barrett all on the field at the same time on certain downs and situations? Well, absolutely. You have the ability to kick uh, JPP down inside and put Tryon and Barrett on the outside. So, and then once again, just like. You know, uh, Jason Pierre-Paul played with the Giants. He had the ability to do that where they could kick him down inside and they run all of those blitzes and stunts and he still faces one-on-ones and still has the ability to win. And you can still do that with him now. So I expect to see all three of those guys on the field at times. I expect, you know, when they know it's definitely past situations, 
and you don't want those guys out there that aren't going to get to the quarterback from the interior of the pocket. Any way to affect the pocket with four, expect uh, expect the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to try that. Yeah, Shaft Barrett did a lot of that when he was a rookie or a, or a second-year veteran, so to speak, with the Denver Broncos in their Super Bowl defense in uh, 2015. And uh, this will be nothing new to him, playing in these NASCAR packages and having a young rookie like Tryon. He could uh, teach Tryon about the role he played in those Broncos packages with Wade Phillips in 2015. And uh, those Todd Bowles, Bowles packages, I think, are going to fit Joe Tryon really, really, really well this year. And in the third round, the Bucks took versatile offensive lineman Robert Hainsey out of Notre Dame. And I really like this pick because at Rookie Bidicat last week, Bruce Arians was raving about his versatility, and he said that he's going to get a shot at all five spots. Robert Hainsey himself added that he is working mostly at center right now. And that makes sense given the fact that Ryan Jensen is coming out of contract after the season and it's going to be very difficult for the Bucks to re-sign him. Can you see Robert Hainsey taking over for Ryan Jensen in 2022 or... Do you think it's more likely that he takes over for Alex Kappa at that guard spot opposite Ali Marpet in 2022? I see Kappa as the more affordable of the two. Um, and if he he's played solid. You know, he's a guy who came up from um, Division Three school, Humboldt State. So um, I remember Kappa coming up, seeing him. I, I loved him at tackle. They loved him at guard. And it's been hit or miss early in his career. He's caught on. He's, he's shown uh, when he's healthy. Because he's been that's probably one that has also been health. Uh, when he's healthy, he's a quality guard. Um, Jensen at center is a player who's a veteran. We've seen how well he plays. Unfortunately, um, money talks. You can't pay everybody. And the ability to have Hainsey come in who can play center, who can play guard. I know he played tackle at Notre Dame at times, but to me, he's an interior player. Um, I was shocked to see him go as early as he did. I thought he would go in round four or five. Uh, because a lot of teams are pushing Notre Dame, some of the Notre Dame guys down the board, but he actually went first. I was, I was shocked. I thought Aaron Banks would have probably gone before him. But Aaron Banks did go before him. Banks went in the second round, actually. Yes, that's right. I forgot. I'm sorry. Forgive me. No problem. <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, Hayes is one of those guys um, I like, and I think one, you know, his ability to play the center position is big. Um, the ability to play guard is big, and I think what you're going to see with him is competing to replace one of those guys, whether it's contract or performance. He is Jeff Barnes, ladies and gentlemen, of Cover 2 Draft. You could uh, go onto that website, coverdigit2draft.com, and follow him on Twitter at jeffbarnes29. And now it's time to play one of our favorite games on this program, and it's called Truth or Exaggeration. And in this game, we will dive deeper into a prospect we either barely talked about or have not talked about whatsoever, and you tell me whether I'm telling the truth or whether I'm telling an exaggeration and explain your reason why. Starting with the Falcons, Drew Dahlman, the fourth-round center from Stanford that they selected, has a better chance than most think at beating out Matt Hennessy for the starting center job. Truth or exaggeration? I think it's a bit of an exaggeration. I like Dahlman. I think it's gonna be an, he's going to have a, a tough time. One thing he's had is injuries um, that have kept him off the field, so he's got to prove he can stay healthy. Uh, Hennessy has been a solid player. He's uh, he's underwhelmed because they expected a lot more out of him. But I think he'll compete. I don't think – they're going to take about a year or two for him to really push Hennessy out, though. I don't think he's ready to take him out this year. And moving on to the Panthers. And although he may not reach the stratosphere of George Kittle, 
Tommy Tremble will become one of the three best two-way tight ends in the NFL these next two to three years. Truth or exaggeration? I say you can take a bit of truth with that. I, I don't think he, with the with the traditional tight end sets, even he's not a traditional tight end. He's still more of an H-back. He's not the, the dynamic vertical threat, but he's a furious blocker. Way, way better than many of the H-backs in the league. Um, so that's going to keep him on the field a lot of situations. Uh, the ability to get open off of play action underneath, make some tough catches, uh, yards after the catch are big. So I expect a lot of red zone touchdowns out of him, a lot of big third down catches, um, some major blocks and some big runs. Those things are going to push him up as a tight end on many people's uh, list. I think he's going to be very productive. I think he's going to be all around uh, good, which is going to push him up aboard. Not so much the dynamic receiving tight end we see. And that's what's going to push him aboard. You talk about guys like Jason Witten who did it all. Tommy Tremble is going to be that guy that does it all. He's going to get the respect for that. And moving on to the Saints. If the Saints jettison Taysom Hill after this season, Ian Book will replace him in the offensive packages that Hill has run in recent years. Truth or exaggeration? I'm going to say exaggeration. Um, as, as, a, as a guy that's followed Notre Dame football for close to 40 years, um, I, I respect Ian Book's game, but he is uh, nowhere near the athlete that Taysom Hill, Taysom Hill is. Um, overall, as a passer, I think they're very similar. They're, they're, they're you know, they're not going to be dynamic passers. They'll make some nice throws. They're not consistent. Ian Book is, is, is inconsistent when it comes to reading the field, reading coverages. A lot of late throws from Ian Book. He's going to see it before he throws it kind of quarterback. Uh, and New Orleans, I think that he'll improve a little, but I just do not see him becoming this dynamic passer. I was actually shocked that New Orleans pulled the trigger on him so high. Thank you for that. And uh, last but not least, with the Bucks, Jalen Darden will become a Pro Bowl returner sometime in the next four years. Truth or exaggeration? I'll say truth. I'll say truth. Uh, he was a dynamic player at North Texas, and um, it's going to be interesting to see how he gets on the field besides in special teams with all the players that the Buccaneers have. So um, I think overall his, his main point is going to be on special teams. And honestly, he could, if they're on another Super Bowl run, he could be that Desmond Howard type player who plain and simple, you, you watch out for him in a return game because he could take it to the house. I know we've diminished kickoff returns a lot in the NFL with the way we do things now, but I think you still get the ball in his hands in those kind of situations. He's still deadly. Yes, and can you see Bruce Arians uh, putting together a small package of plays for him on offense this year? No, absolutely. Bruce Arians is going to get him involved in some way or the other. I just think it's going to be so limited a package because you still have the big receivers. There. You still have yeah. Evans and you have those tight ends. So, I mean, he'll get his packages. He's still got to be able to run the football. So he'll he'll get his hands on some screens and some jet sweeps and then a bunch of other packages he'll have in store for him. But overall, I think his biggest mark is going to be on special teams. I think if he's returning punts with, with a great pace um, and when he does get a chance to return some kicks out of the end zone, if he gets some great field position on that or even breaks a few, I think he's going to be one of those guys that can change a game um, on his legs on special teams. 
And Tom Brady and the Bucks office would absolutely love that. And Jeff, thank you so much once again for joining us. But uh, before we let you go, we're going to play another game called Absolutes. And this game is simple. You're just going to tell us your favorite draft pick in the entire NFC South, most puzzling pick, etc., etc. Starting with your favorite pick in the 2021 NFL Draft in the NFC South. Um, once again, I have to go back to Atlanta and Kyle Pitts. Um, I think that is going to be something, whether it's Matt Ryan in the next three, four years or somebody, some other quarterback, I think he's just going to be a truly dominant player. We talk about what Gronk has been into the tight end position. Well, you look at a guy that's even faster than Gronk, even more elusive than Gronk, runs better routes than Gronk. I think this guy is just going to be the guy on offense for many, many years to come. Now, as far as the most uh, boggling pick in the division, oh, man. I mean, you, you could almost go to Carolina. They had some really, really good picks. However, like I said, the pick that really, really caught me um, was – I, I want to say when you get to the later rounds, you look at players that can help. And I know they got they, they wanted to help their special teams when they got Thomas Fletcher. Um, but you had a chance with players on the board still at that position that could come in and provide depth. And you're talking about moving forward with veteran players. Getting the long snapper where you can get those guys in you know, as an undrafted free agent, <laughs> you know, is one thing. I think, you know... People won't make a big deal out of a uh, compensatory six-round pick, but we saw good players fall in this draft. Some fell out of it altogether. Yeah. And those guys could have been taken with a six-round pick and still get this guy an undrafted free agent. So I'm still a little – I mean, they had some other players above them who I was like, okay. Uh, Shy Smith was a pick not too far ahead of him. Uh, Deontay Brown was a pick not too far ahead of him. You know, and those guys, I think they got picked where they deserved to go. So I didn't really, those didn't boggle me. But when they went long snapper there, I was like, you could have gotten him afterwards and mm -hmm. still get so many other players that were on the board that fell to you. You know, it was a little boggling to me. Very good point. What do you think was the biggest steal on day three of the draft in the NFC South? I'm going to say with Tampa Bay, we talked about Darden, so I'm not going to go back to that one. But I do believe um, he didn't have the greatest pro day numbers. But Grant Stewart, I think it's going to be a guy that sticks around and sneaks into somebody's lineup at some point. It may not be this year. It may not be a year later from now. But he's going to be a guy that sneaks on the field for somebody. And if it isn't in Tampa Bay, it's going to be somewhere else. He's, he's a very solid player. Um, once again, you know, a lot of guys from Houston fell because their numbers on their pro days weren't that great. Uh, and pro day numbers ruled the roost this year when it came to getting drafted. Um, if your numbers weren't phenomenal, we saw a lot of players that fell out. Uh, like I said, True Williams didn't get drafted out of Syracuse. Excellent player. His numbers didn't know and overwhelm, so he fell out of the board. And Grant Stewart almost fell out of draft. He was Mr. Irrelevant. I think yeah. he's going to be a guy, once again, who comes in. He's going to make that mark on special teams, provide depth. And after a couple of years of people sleeping on him, he's going to get a chance to come on the field and never come off. 
Oh, very interesting. And the Bucks have another former Mr. Irrelevant on their team who was crucial to their Super Bowl run in Ryan Suckup. So Grant Stewart has somebody to learn from in Ryan Suckup who outperformed the slot of Mr. Irrelevant in the draft. So you could be onto something there, Jeff. And uh, you said that Grant Stewart was the biggest day three steal in the uh, NFC South. Who were the best day three picks for the three other teams in the NFC South, starting with the New Orleans Saints? So for the Saints, I think their best day three pick came in the form of, um, I want to say Kawan Baker from South Alabama. We talked about a team that we, we, we beat up their receiving core last year. Because if it wasn't, uh, if it, you know, they had one receiver, everybody basically said, you know. So you can, a kid like Kawan Baker who comes in from South Alabama, very explosive player at times. Um, I think he's still undeveloped as a route tree. Um, didn't time overly well, but when you watched him on the football field, he was, a, he was a dynamic player for South Alabama. I think he has the chance to come in, come in and contribute in some packages, um, grow in the offense, and eventually I think he could explore at some point so he may not be a number one receiver in the future but he could be a quality three or even a, in some cases a two um so he's a guy who's going to come out of nowhere to a lot of people and what about the best day three pick for the carolina panthers all right so for carolina i'm going to say the best day three pick and they had a lot of them <laughs> um to me, it's going to be Chuba Hubbard. And here's a guy who the year before was possibly HB1 for some people, you know, RB1. And uh, so here he goes in round four in this year. And he had a lot of different things that happened this year. He had the falling out with the head coach in the offseason. Um, the injuries during the season limited his production. And a lot of people feel that he kind of ran the way he should have been drafted. I think he's a little better than the way he, should, he was drafted. I think overall, he's going to be that kind of guy. If McCaffrey goes down, he's going to give you a, a, still some big plays on offense and running the football. Um, I think he still has to show people that he could be uh, a dynamic pass catcher catching the football. But overall, I think you got a very good running back in that, in that round who, plain and simple, was overlooked. <laughs> you know, so... I think overall, that's going to be a player who everybody's going to say, well, Christian McCaffrey's hurt. The offense is not going to be the same. Well, they'll be running the football if Christian McCaffrey's hurt because Chuba Hubbard can run the football. And last but not least, the best day three pick for the Atlanta Falcons. I'm going to go with, and, and these are always the worst ones for me, Adazakumbo Agbiondo from, from Notre Dame. All right. And we talk about players who come in with a motor. This is a high-motor player. Doesn't do anything phenomenally when it comes to pass rushing, run stopping. He just is a highly-motored player who gives you a lot of effort and has a lot of building blocks because he's still extremely raw. He's a player that's going to come in. He's going to play that three technique. They'll kick him out in certain situations to end. I don't think he'll be highly effective at end, but I think in certain situations, moving him around, stunting him, that using his movement skills, his ability to, to squeeze through holes and get into the backfield, he's going to be a very productive player on that front in Atlanta. 
Yeah, I believe that player that you are referring to is Ade Ogundeji, who uh, the Falcons uh, selected, the defensive end out of Notre Dame. And uh, who do you think will be the best offensive rookie in the NFC South in 2021? And uh, if uh, you could name anybody other than Kyle Pitts, uh, shoot shoot at the board. <laughs> Absolutely. I think we beat up the Kyle Pitts pick, uh, pick <laughs> enough. Uh, um, I think you're going to go back to uh, – we talk about Carolina. I think overall, Terrence Marshall and Tom, or Tommy Tremble, those are going to be the most productive rookies other than Kyle Pitts immediately right away. I think Marshall is going to bring something to that receiving core. But like we said, you're talking about Tommy Tremble is going to be in there a lot, blocking, pass catching. He's going to provide a lot of big um, runs, a lot of crucial blocks and some short yarded situations to extend drives. And he's going to score some red zone touchdowns, which they desperately need. And last but not least, the best defensive rookie in the NFC South in 2021. Oh, that's going to be Horn. <laughs> no doubt about it. I mean, listen, uh, we said we talked about the scheme fit. It's not ideal. You know, you would think that he's going to be a press man, chase and, and be aggressive. But I think he's going to make some plays when he guesses right. He's going to get a He's going to get a pick six. You know, when he guesses wrong, he may give up a big play as well. But overall, when he, if he disguises the coverage as well and understands where he needs to be, he's still going to be a highly effective corner in Carolina. Thank you, Jeff. And that's it for today here on Sports Cross. But we'll be back in the coming days with more Draft Class recaps, so stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Jeff. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrom 59 For Jeff Barnes, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome, stay safe, stay sane, and if you want to stop wearing a mask and have football stadiums at full capacity this fall, please get vaccinated right now. Thank you very much, everybody. (laughs) 